0: Welcome to the Natural Selection Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Natural Selection Podcast it's Rob with you for this episode. Our guest today is Sophie Pavel who works for the Beaver Trust. The Beaver Trust is a growing organisation who aims to encourage and support beaver introductions across Britain as well as educate people on how beavers would change their surroundings in the landscape. I really enjoyed recording this episode and I hope you enjoy listening to it too. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of The Natural Selection with me, Rob. Our guest today is Sophie Pavell, who is the Communications Coordinator at The Beaver Trust and presenter of the wonderful short documentary Beavers Without Borders, which was released in mid-November 2020. Sophie, it's great to have you here today and uh, let's dive in. So both you and I know that there's two species of beaver in the world, Eurasian and North American and that they're the second largest rodent, being very unique in what they do. They're possibly more successful at manipulating waterways than humans, particularly with regards to wildlife. But in terms of the beaver story in the UK, could you just give us a bit of background about that, and also why you think now might be kind of the time of the beaver in the UK?
1: Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's um, it's, it's a pleasure to be on. So, background to the beaver story in the UK. It's a bit of an interesting one, really. I mean, beavers were and are a fundamental part of our riparian, so our river ecosystems. And they were very much a part of our rivers uh, hundreds of years ago, along with other mammals that have sadly um, been lost at the moment. And about 400 years ago, you know, at the time, our society was very different. And I think it's a really important thing to remember that actually the way human society operated and what was important to us and what we used as say a marker of wealth and status was very very different to what we use now so beavers were hunted and persecuted for their very luxurious fur um so beaver pelts were used uh, in aristocracy as as part of their clothing and part of their sort of accessorizing i suppose um and also we persecuted beavers for castorium which is little secretion from their anal glands um, that was used in all sorts of things from perfumes to aspirin and is still sold unfortunately and used around the world today um, because it has many different uses that people apparently enjoy and Mm -hmm. um, so we hunted uh, beavers very very uh, extensively and wiped them out basically 400 years ago so they were just gone you know this enormously industrious and very charismatic and present ecosystem engineer was suddenly gone and so in that 400 years of course not only has society changed but our landscape has changed drastically Um, our rivers have been dredged and canalized Um, we've of course had the industrial revolution we've had the agricultural revolution. So the way that we have used the land has has vastly evolved in the favour of humanity. And so very quickly, um, you know, there's not that much room left for this big rodent to kind of operate and sort of work our rivers in the way that they do. And a few years ago, uh, beavers were discovered, um, you know, beavers weren't totally wiped out, you know, beyond, you know, they weren't I guess they were functionally extinct, but there were a few isolated beavers that were discovered um, in the early kind of, you know, from 2012 onwards. And the government immediately, I'm talking about the River Otter mainly here, so in the southwest um, in Devon, there's a river called the River Otter, which was home to the very successful now River Otter Beaver Trial. And the government or people found a group of beavers living in an isolated part of that river catchment. Um, And the government said, "Okay, let's just get rid of these. And, and, you know, it's a problem that we don't really have time to deal with at the moment. But the community put up a fuss and said, actually, we're happy to have the beavers here. We like them. They're not harming us. And please don't let them go. And so then the government said to um, Devon Wildlife Trust and Clinton Devon Estates, who own a good portion of the river otter catchment. "Um, "Okay, well, let's let's see. Let's see what they can do. So if you can raise the money to do a five year trial that's very science and evidence based. You know we'll we'll see how it goes and so this is a very kind of anecdotal very vague sort of account i must say of, of what this process was which was a very complex kind of science-based trial but essentially you know the river otter beaver trial is an amazing example of very science-led and community-led it must you know it must say many um aspects of bringing uh, what was once functionally extinct mammal back into our rivers. And so this very much catalyzed, um, especially down in the southwest, I think a, a reimagining of, of, of thinking, of, of bringing animals back and reintroduction in general. Um, and around a similar time, I think around 2015, 2016, um, the Cornwall Beaver Project started, which is what Beaver Trust hosts down in the Laddick Valley with Chris Jones, who's Director of Restoration for Beaver Trust and a farmer, In his own right. And so the Cornwall Beaver Project started then a few years ago, and it's just kind of catalyzed this really exciting um, movement, I suppose, in bringing these animals back in a way that hopefully will be for the benefit of not only them and their populations and their ecology, but also for us, um, because beavers are a brilliant ally to have at the moment in the fight against climate change. And I guess that brings me on to your next question in terms of why is now the time for the beaver in the UK well I'm sure it's no surprise to you and your listeners that the environment's in a bit of a state at the moment you know we've got climate change happening we've got extreme weather particularly in the UK in the southwest we suffer quite a lot with flooding and so you know we're looking to technology naturally to help us through these problems but also we are start you know what the beaver represents is a look to nature as to how can nature help us through these crises and how can it alleviate some of the symptoms of climate change like drought, like flooding, um, like pollution, you know, when agriculture and nature get closer and closer together and humanity and nature get closer and closer together, there's going to be a mixing of those environments. So how can nature help us uh, mitigate against those sorts of things? So Beaver represents so much But I think in many ways, it's sort of a metaphor for hopefully glorious change in terms of our relationship with nature and perhaps looking to nature as more of an ally versus this kind of intimidating entity that we struggle to sometimes harmonise with. So it represents so much. (laughs) I could go on, but I won't. (laughs) That's
0: brilliant. And um, it just shows the importance of people power, doesn't it? And especially now, I think we're increasingly finding a reconnection with the natural world. And, yeah, I learned, learned a few things there as well. I didn't realise that they were still kind of used for their castorium today. Obviously, as you say, people... Not in the
1: thought... UK, but, unfortunately, there's... there's um, We discovered on very accessible, well-known websites, which I won't mention, but there's beaver products being sold around the world, um, which was a shock to us, but it's still very current.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a shame, but... It will change with time, I'm sure of that. So as you alluded to there, obviously uh, our planet is under increasing pressure. But again, like yourself, I I do see the beavers as quite a beacon of hope. But just kind of perhaps covering that ground a little bit more. Do you think that the beavers are a silver bullet to the climate and ecological crisis in the UK? Given all they do, their damming capacity, their potential to provide positive habitat changes... Or is this perhaps the wrong way to be presenting them or a glorified way of presenting the animals?
1: Um, it's a really good question. And I, we in the comms department at Beaver Trust, we struggle with this a lot because it's really tempting to promote an animal as brilliant as the beaver. You know, it's got a lot going through it it's really tempting to present it in a really glorified way and we've learned you know there's lots of lessons that we've learned over the last few months Um, this was a really intense (laughs) beaver heavy year last year and you know we sometimes got to reel ourselves back and think actually beavers are not a silver bullet um you know silver bullet is kind of by definition it tempts you to think that it is the one solution that will solve everything but it really won't beavers uh can cause a lot of problems they can cause a lot of conflicts you know, as we sometimes say in the team, uh, sort of half tongue in cheek, but also not, is beavers can be an absolute pain in the arse. And, you know, it's, it's a lot about dispelling the uh, myths, I think, that surround beavers, but also to admit that they can cause problems, you know, rivers and farmland, as I said earlier, is increasingly um, squeezed into a tighter space. You know, there's not much room for one or the other at the moment, especially in the south of England, where it's very populated and very urbanised. And there's just not that much space at the moment. So naturally, beavers need a little bit of space to scrub around, to feed, to fell trees, to do their thing, to build dams. Dams can raise the water level behind them and you know can spill over into neighboring farmland so for a farmer who has crops in that area of farmland that's not great news unless there are management techniques and he's got the support from organizations in the government to deal with those consequences so it's very much about a a conversation and a dialogue and for listening to people who are concerned about beavers and as we explored in beavers without borders having empathy for people who have those genuine concerns uh, that are well-founded in many ways is is vital for a successful reintroduction of a very big, very uh, impactful mammal. Um, And it's a balance of weighing up the pros and the cons. But the way we look at it is, you know, we appreciate that beavers can cause problems. We're very aware of that. We've seen it firsthand. But we can also appreciate that science shows again and again and again that the benefits of beavers and their services massively outweigh the cost and actually the management techniques that you can employ and that you can teach and facilitate to people who are going to be close to beavers are very simple cost effective and easy to implement Um, but it's just a lot about education and spreading awareness of these things but it's more that beavers I think we view them as an ally so an animal and a creature whose services we need to have on side and we need to recognise and acknowledge, but they're not a silver bullet. There's, you know, solving climate change is a multidisciplinary thing that that we need to tackle. It's, um, you know, it's not a one solution will solve everything. They just will help mitigate the effects of climate change. Um, but I think it's a really important thing to reiterate that they can cause problems, but the benefits outweigh the
0: costs and science says that yeah that's that's um that is a good point to be making and it's partly just because they're so kind of instinctive in their behaviors aren't they it's just the way they go about it pushing the water out and it does slow the flow it reduces the flooding as you say but it's just about making sure that the people that lose out and the people that gain kind of get a an even share of it and the, the benefits are spread equally across society to balance that out So um, just leading on from that quite nicely, obviously with the habitat creation they make these wetlands and in the UK we unfortunately have only about 3% of wetlands, 3% of our land cover is wetlands, uh, yet they support a huge number of our species up to potentially 10% and last week on the 2nd of Feb was the World Wetlands Day, the 50th anniversary in fact. So with beavers creating these wetlands and as you say their importance why do you feel that the beaver became the first successful and, quite crucially, I think it's important to say, official mammal reintroduction to Great Britain?
1: I think it, many reasons, really. I think it was for going back to the River Otter beaver trial. It was a really inspiring example, and I'm speaking personally here as a, you know, someone who's fresh into fresh out, fairly fresh out of uh, uni and education, and then into a conservation job. It was a really inspiring example of how conservation can work really well if there is if collaboration between experts and organisations and things um, takes precedence, and if it's a really well organised, well structured, well supported project, I think it you know there were a lot of things that that went right there, and you know Mark Elliott, who was the project lead for the River Otter Beaver trial was totally amazing at facilitating a lot of those really difficult conversations around, um, around the future of the beavers on the otter. And, you know, I think with the collaboration with Exeter University and Professor Richard Brazier, who led the science there, um, it was just a really amazing example of modern conservation in a very difficult, very turbulent world, where conservation and environmental issues consistently still take a little bit of a backseat especially at the moment, you know, in the pandemic and things. It's, it's really difficult to get that spotlight. I think the beaver helps itself a lot with being a very charismatic, interesting animal. Um, there are a lot of species around the UK that are really hurting and really need a lot of help and conservation assistance, but just don't have quite have the same uh, aura that a beaver has. You know, it's really captivating. It's been so um, heartwarming in a way to see how, much the beaver has captivated the nation um last year you know and it helped a lot having spring watch autumn watch and winter watch focusing on the cornwall beaver project but it's you know there's a lot of things i think that people can identify with the beaver you know they're very hard-working they're very social mammals they have good parental care they just even watching them work you know with their little paws and things it's very you can um anthropomorphize or whatever the word is you can
0: you can sort of project
1: your own yeah you can project your own behaviors and
0: they're very relatable animals I think in a lot of ways they're very
1: relatable you can you can project a lot of your behaviors and habits and kind of isms and idiosyncrasies onto onto a beaver so I think people see a lot of that and and can relate to it so I think a, a mixture of the beaver as a very charismatic mammal and the fact that it was the, the, the reintroductions that have happened so far in England, especially have been well thought through, well founded by science and, um, you know, well supported by collaboration of NGOs um, it is a factor in their success. But, you know, there's a lot of hurdles. There's been a lot of mistakes and there's a lot of hurdles to come for sure.
0: I think that that charisma that the animals inspire has also brought along a lot of very charismatic and influential people as well. They're pushing, pushing in oh, the right totally. direction, and that's definitely yeah. helped them. There's a lot of very, yeah, very, know, um, very, good characters around.
1: Yeah, we can't underestimate the power of influencers and people of notoriety and people with you know big public platforms. You know, if if they're pushing the beaver and its reintroduction, that is so so powerful.
0: Brilliant. So uh, hopefully the beaver is going to be having a long term future in the UK. It very much looks that way with, as you were saying, the the River Otter trial being declared successful and the population being allowed to stay. But just briefly, can we cover a few of the the biggest hurdles to get to the point we're at now and potentially a few of the challenges that are still being faced to move forwards with the hopefully wider reintroduction to the UK?
1: Yeah, so I think it's really important to stress that although the river otter beaver population is now officially wild and free roaming, beavers as a species in England are still not legally classified as native and protected. So we've still got that big legislative hurdle to to overcome, I think, in terms of policy and talking to the government. So any reinstructions that are happening will still be in enclosed trials until they are proven and, you know, approved by DEFRA to be okay. Just because every catchment is different. And, you know, just because they're okay to stay in the River Otter doesn't mean they're okay to stay in a river in the southeast because it's a totally different landscape. And there'll be different people who might be affected, different areas of farmland. So there's a great big uh, legislative hurdle there. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of education still needing uh, needing to be ha- happening. So uh, Eva, the director of comms, and I are, are working really hard on an education programme this year to try and get, um, you know, beaver ecology. You know, beavers are brilliant teachers, so they're a great teacher of river ecology and ecology in general. So and there's still, as I said earlier, a lot of myths to be busted about beavers. So I think education on a broad level is still really important. Mm-hmm. Because only then, you know, you can get public properly on board with them as a as a concept. And with, at the moment, we are working on slightly bigger scale stuff with Beaver Trust. So we've kind of, with Beaver's Without Borders, we, um, you know, introduce the concept of the Beaver. But this year we're working on a new film, which is zooming out a little bit and looking at riparian landscapes and with a bit more of a climate change focus and a bit more of a farming and land use focus as well so that's really exciting but yes it's it's kind of we've we've done the beaver now but we're hoping to talk a bit more about how they slot into the land and a bit more about rivers and river health in general
0: no that that's really exciting to hear and i for one will uh, be looking forward to that and just on that i think it also requires a few brave landowners for example Uh, I come from Berkshire and we've got chalk streams around there and to a lot of users of chalk streams they're very precious and the UK in particular is kind of uh, one of the few countries that has the majority of the chalk streams in the world and beavers and chalk streams haven't yet in the UK at least been shown to be compatible so I think um, it requires a few bold steps from individuals there.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, um, the angling community and the uh, freshwater community, we really need to just keep those conversations going because introducing beavers on a big scale needs to be a collaborative effort. And it's very unproductive if you just sort of go ahead and do it without getting key stakeholders um, on board in those conversations. So, yeah, chalk stream. We've actually had a really cool blog written for us by uh, Mike Blackmore, who is a freshwater expert, and that's a really, really interesting blog. I'd recommend reading that if you're curious about that very issue on chalk streams. Um, so that's just on the
0: Beaver Trust
1: have... website. On the Beaver Trust website, yeah, we've got a blog section, and look out for the blog by Mike Blackmore, and he delves into the very topic of Beaver's chalk streams and fish, which is fascinating. So. Highly recommend that.
0: Brilliant. And so just finally to wrap up, sticking on beavers or moving away if you wish, uh, what recent news from the UK or on a global scale has given you further hope or renewed hope for the planet and its future?
1: I'm going to go personal here and on a global scale. And it's the fact that the US has rejoined the Paris Climate Agreement. I'm a dual nationality with the US. My brother and I were born in the States and our dad's American. And so we voted in this historic election. And uh, it's really encouraging to have the US as, you know, a huge superpower back in that game because we've we've got to keep thinking about the climate now. And so having their influence there and their commitment to helping to sort it out is really encouraging. But again, that is a personal view, but it does give me hope.
0: No, that, that's uh, that's very, very beneficial. And, like you say, definitely something to be celebrating. For sure. So that brings us to the end of the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us, Sophie. And um,
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's been brilliant to talk to you. Thank you very
1: much. Thanks so
0: much. And that's it for this episode of the Natural Selection Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and maybe learned something new. To keep up to date with the podcast, follow us on social media. On Twitter, it's... At UOE podcast, and on Instagram it's natural selection underscore podcast. The podcast is available on SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Please do like and share it if you enjoyed the podcast, and we'll see you again.